We are going to take a break from Christology for one Sunday, and we're going to consider um, the importance of corporate prayer and the, um, you know, first and foremost, the, the biblical uh, witness to it, but also the importance and privilege that we have for corporate prayer. Not that I'm trying to persuade you that corporate prayer is not only biblical, but important, but also um, for you to see uh, what we do and why we do things. Um, it's important for us to, I mean, in fact, it's, it's really innate in us to know what's called the essence of things, uh, to know uh, why we are doing certain things uh, and why do things exist. So if someone was to ask you, well, why in the world are we meeting for 4.30 for corporate prayer? Um, what would we say? You know, we want to have a reason why we believe what we believe if we've come, many of us, at 4.30 to pray. Um, so we want to consider corporate prayer and uh, the necessity of corporate prayer. Uh, corporate prayer, of course, has been something that the church has done for uh, uh, centuries, um, since the very beginnings, uh, I'm going to argue, in Genesis. But saints, uh, you see now, uh, especially in the church today, uh, that corporate prayer is something that's really optional uh, when when people are, or rather elders and, and deacons and all of them, are, are putting together uh, a schedule for uh, what they're going to be doing, uh, whether it be on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, other than coming to uh, corporate worship on Sunday. Uh, and you, you find that you, you see a women's study, uh, a men's study, uh, a men's breakfast. Um, I'm not describing us <laughs> at all. Um, and, and many other things, a family night, um, uh, evangelism night, all these other things, uh, things that churches do. Uh, on the list before corporate prayer. Uh, and the reason, it, primarily, I believe, um, might be because no one shows up. Uh, I can remember when I was younger, uh, my mother, and even though um, at the time, um, my father and my mother didn't necessarily know all the ins and outs of the theology that was being taught and, and all that, uh, the great thing, at least, that she did was she took me to corporate prayer. And uh, by taking me to corporate prayer, um, it, was, it was her um, teaching me indirectly that prayer is important. And it's important that uh, the body of Christ comes together and prays. And, and that's, that was very, very, uh, um, at least it stuck out for me when I was a child. Uh, but saints, corporate prayer is not something that should be optional, not only to uh, churches, but also uh, for us as Christians. It's not something that churches should say, should we put it on the list or not? Uh, and it's not something that Christians who are part of the body of Christ uh, should say, should we go or not? You see what I'm saying there? That churches are not... Uh, to say, should we put it on the list or not? And then us Christians are not to say, should we go or not? Uh, it's something that we are uh, to do. Uh, it's something that we see uh, the early church doing. It's something that we see uh, the great Christian tradition doing, uh, coming together and praying. In fact, one theologian, uh, Ryan McGraw, if you guys are looking to, for someone to listen to, Ryan McGraw, very, very great uh, pastor, theologian, someone to listen to, uh, he said in one of his messages on corporate prayer that um, 
we do more in corporate prayer uh, than we could ever do when we go door to door trying to spread the gospel. We do more in corporate prayer than, uh, and he's not trying to belittle evangelism, uh, but what he's saying is we as a body come together and we, uh, as the Puritans would say, we storm the gates of heaven uh, and uh, we knock down the very throne room of God and, and we ask God, a power greater than ours or greater than us, to do something that we cannot do. And that is bring salvation to all those um, whom he has willed to save. Um, and, and what a blessing that is. So saints, we want to consider again corporate prayer. First and foremost, let's answer the question, what is prayer? What is prayer? The Westminster's Larger Catechism says in question 178, what is prayer? And the answer it gives is prayer is an offering of, of our desires unto God. In the name of Christ, by the helping of his spirit, with confession of our sins, and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. So what do we do in prayer is in prayer, we come to the Father by faith in the merits of Christ in the power of the Spirit. Uh, Prayer is a Trinitarian uh, act where we, again, come to the Father um, in the merits, by faith of Christ and in the power of the Spirit. We could say that prayer is the communication of our desires to God, our Father. It's our throwing all of our desires, our needs and our will, onto the lap of God. The the Puritans would say that it's the vomiting of the soul uh, when when we pray to God. Prayer is not simply thinking about God or having concerns, but rather prayer is expressing need from the heart to God. Again, it's the very outpouring of our soul to our Heavenly Father. This is why, saints, when we pray, we don't merely pray with our lips, but we are to pray with our soul. We are to pray with our soul. Uh, um, B.M. Palmer says in, the, in uh, his book, The Theology of Prayer, that prayer is the language of creaturely dependence. Again, prayer is the language of creaturely dependence. Meaning, in prayer, we are presupposing already that we cannot do something in and of ourselves, that we need someone to do something on our behalf. And what we're doing in prayer is we come to God as beggars. We come to God as beggars, climbing upon his lap to have regular conversation. John Calvin would view prayer as gaining access to the very throne room of God, where The people of God, by faith, meet with God, they climb upon his lap, and they lisp into his ear. One theologian said, in prayer, we speak to one who knows everything about you, as if he knows nothing about you. That's very true, is it not? We are speaking to the God who knows all things, so why in the world would we come to him and ask him things that he already knows? Uh... Because, saints, prayer is not merely for, rather, it's not for God's privilege, but it's for our privilege. And also, God uses means. God uses means. Uh, We want to think that prayer uh, is not something, it's not a means that God uses in order for God's will to be done. Uh, Don't ever have someone tell you uh, to believe that lie, but rather, uh, prayer most assuredly is a means that God uses. God does use your prayers. And he answers uh, your prayers. So, 
that is a little bit on prayer. Um, we could talk a little bit about that if you want to after uh, uh, evening service. But let's now, for our time being, consider corporate prayer. Corporate prayer. What is it? Why, why is it important? Well, let's first consider the biblical witness of corporate prayer. If we were to build a biblical case of corporate prayer, uh, where would we go? Where should we go? And many of us would go to the book of Acts and the New Testament, which we will go to in just a few seconds, a few minutes rather. But we don't need to go to the New Testament to uh, discover and to locate a, a, a uh, proof text uh, for corporate prayer. And mind you, saints, when we talk about what's the biblical witness for a thing, we aren't to say that um, in the Bible it has to have that word and our definition of the word or of the doctrine. So, for instance, if someone was to ask you, uh, what's the doctrine of the Trinity? You don't say, okay, well, we see in Psalm chapter, you know, 59, verse 8, Trinity, the word here. And then also the very, the very definition that uh, the early church has used and the church has used for the doctrine of Trinity uh, is in there as well. Uh, that's not how we uh, use the scripture um, to unravel biblical data. Uh, but rather we can consider the implications uh, and what's implicitly being said as well as explicitly. We see in Genesis, in the very early chapters of Genesis, corporate prayer, uh, it was the godly line of Seth. In Genesis 4, verse 26, where we see the world's first prayer meeting. Genesis chapter 4, verse 26 reads, At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 6 through 7 says, And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful to the house in the house of the prayer. Here we see God uh, characterizing the house of God as a house of prayer. Again, God calls his house a house of prayer. The temple was to be a place where people pray together corporately. And as we come to the New Testament, we see uh, a greater emphasis on corporate prayer when we consider the early church in the book of Acts. As you know, the book of Acts tells us the story of how Christianity and the gospel of Jesus Christ spread through all parts of the world. And we see that what characterized the early church is not merely the preaching of the gospel, but it was their priority of prayer. <clears throat> we read in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, of Christ's disciples returning to Jerusalem and wait there until they receive what was promised by the Father, which was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in greater measure. And while Christ's disciples were waiting in Jerusalem, Luke tells us in verse 14 what they were doing. Again, as the disciples were waiting for the outpouring of the Spirit, it says, all of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, saints, uh, that word devoting in Greek um, is what uh, Greek scholars say is in the form of a present active participle. And what that essentially means, saints, is uh, this act of praying was something that they were doing on a regular basis. So devoting means doing something on a regular basis. It wasn't just a one-time thing where they met together and they prayed and that was it, but rather uh, they, they did it constantly. 
It was ingrained into the, into the regular rhythm of their lives. But notice the text also says, all these with one accord, which speaks to the unity that disciples had with one another as they prayed. There was a single-mindedness amongst the disciples in which they all were in agreement with one goal in mind. And that is what corporate prayer is to be about, is it not, saints? And this is why we all, in, uh, with one voice, say, Amen. Uh, we are all agreeing with uh, the thing that is being petitioned. We see corporate prayer in chapter in Acts chapter 1, verses 23 to 26. It was where the twelve uh, had to choose who would replace Judas as another disciple. And notice what they did, saints. We see in verse 24, And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take place in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Here we see an example of the early church uh, that uh, before they made an important decision, what did they do? They prayed. Uh, Before they made an important decision, which is who's going to replace Judas as one of the disciples of Christ, uh, they came together and they prayed. But notice that their decision was solely based on their trust and dependence on God. First and foremost, as uh, when they uh, began to pray, uh, they acknowledged uh, the sovereignty and the omniscience of God. Again, the text reads, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen. Often we have a tendency to make decisions and then to ask God to bless them. Uh, Many of us do that, do we not? Uh, As if we already know what we want to do and God... You just have to put your stamp of approval on it, and whether you like it or not, this is what's going to happen. But rather, what we see in the early church is the opposite attitude. We see that the people of God are making decisions as best as they could, but then asking God for the right direction. God, show me the path. If this is not the path, uh, then uh, make me turn another way. We see corporate prayer in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, just after uh, Pentecost where 3,000 chose to follow Christ. Luke tells his readers in chapter chapter 2, verse 42, uh, what these converts did after coming to a saving knowledge of Christ. So after they come to Christ, what do they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Here we see uh, the four main marks of a healthy church, do we not? Sound teaching, corporate fellowship, the Lord's Supper, and corporate prayer. To the early church, corporate prayer was uh, deep-rooted into the DNA of corporate worship. You can't have corporate worship without corporate prayer. In Acts chapter two, uh, 4, verses 20, 24 through 30, uh, a corporate meeting was held as the people plead for boldness. And lastly, in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, when King Herod arrested Peter, While he was in prison, it reads, prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. We can go on and multiply examples of how corporate prayer was uh, an essential ingredient to the growth and spiritual health of the early church. But as we come to the epistles, we see the Apostle Paul encouraging the Romans and Ephesians, the uh, Philippians, Colossians, and Thessalonians to pray for his ministry. In 1 Corinthians 
chapter 14, verses 6 through 17, 16 through 17. He says that corporate prayer should be done in a manner that builds up the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, Paul instructs Timothy to lead the church in Ephesus to pray for all kinds of men, especially kings and those in high positions. And this is to be done without anger or quarreling. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, St. Paul attributes the success of his ministry to the prayers by the Christians in Corinth. He says, why am I successful in what I am doing? Because you are praying for me. But friends, ultimately, why do we have uh, corporate prayer meetings? Well, yes, we can look to St. Paul, we can look to the early church, but we can ultimately look to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who gives to us our mandate for corporate prayer. If we were to mark out some of the features uh, of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, prayer is unquestionably uh, at the top of the list. Jesus Christ was a man of prayer. He taught the disciples how to pray. He taught his disciples the importance of prayer. prayer. Uh, he told his disciples to pray for him and themselves. We see corporate prayer implicitly taught in Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 through 20 says, Again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Now, the context of this is church discipline. The Lord has just given the disciples instructions of how to, uh, how, how to uh, instruct those um, who have transgressed one another and how that's to be handled. And it's in the context of explaining the significance of excommunication in verse 18 that the Lord makes remarks of corporate prayer in verses 19 and 20. Again, Jesus says, If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, they shall ask, it shall be done for them in my, of my Father which is in heaven. Now notice, the Lord doesn't restrict his promise to only the manner of church discipline, but also in the manner of prayer. And we know that because the word agree in the Greek literally means to call out together. This together with the word ask, which means a request, suggests to us a context of corporate prayer. The idea of corporate prayer is further augmented by the phrase together or gather together in my name in verse 20, which suggests that Christians coming together for a purpose or a goal. We see from this text that the Lord promises his special presence with his people when they meet not only each Lord's Day Sabbath or dealing with church discipline, but when the church gathers together for corporate prayer. Jesus Christ is very much in our midst, just as much as he is in our midst in a manner of church discipline, but also when we meet together each and every Lord's Day Sabbath for corporate worship. Important. Um, so what we see, saints, and we can, we can multiply examples, biblical data of the uh, witness to, the biblical witness to corporate prayer. Uh, but what we see, though, is although corporate prayer is not something that's written on the Ten Commandments per se, uh, we see that it's explicitly and implicitly taught uh, and exercised by the early church. And that alone should give us a mandate. In fact, you know, I'm one of the rare few that doesn't believe that we need a thousand proof texts for one doctrine. If there is one text 
then that's good enough. And I just gave you a multitude of texts that describe for us and tell us that corporate prayer is not something that's optional for the Christian and for the church, uh, but it's something that the church is to do. That's something that we as a congregation are to come around and to evolve ourselves in. Now, saints, um, as we are coming to a close, I want us to consider the importance and the privilege of corporate prayer. Uh, this is not something, corporate prayer, that is the, that biblically mandated, and just like all the various laws of God and anything that God tells us to do. It's not simply merely us for, to, for us to follow, but it's something for us to follow uh, and then reap the benefits of. Uh, and I hope that you, you know that uh, in all areas of doctrine especially. I mean, doctrine is not something for us to know, but it's something for us to know and live in light of. Uh, I was telling Sister uh, Norma earlier um, that everything that we learn and we've been learning in Christology, and I know some of the things in Christology in the evenings, they, they're pretty intense. Um, they're, they're, pretty, um, they're new to, to many of you. Uh, but I'm not merely teaching you these things and making us go into the weeds of the forest for us to just marvel at every leaf, but rather to marvel at Jesus Christ and to worship him grander and greater. Uh, and the same can be said with corporate prayer, that there is a great privilege that we have as the body of Christ when we come together and we all in one accord say amen. Number one, corporate prayer encourages Corporate prayer encourages. When we gather together, each of us have the opportunity to do what Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, to encourage one another and build one another up. Uh, I don't know about you, but there are many times when I've left uh, a, a, a corporate prayer uh, service and I've just felt really encouraged uh, by all those whom were unashamed uh, to talk about their, their faults, their sins, uh, but also the things that they are dealing with, uh, the things that uh, they're asking us to come around and to agree with them with. Uh, in corporate prayer, we remind our brothers and sisters that God will never forsake us, which Paul tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Uh, if, if Paul wrote Hebrews, uh, Pastor Antonio was saying, I know he's listening back there, he's probably going to pop out right now, uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote Hebrews. He probably did. I don't know. But uh, let's just say for the sake of uh, the argument that he did, um, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Paul definitely wrote Romans chapter 8, verse 39, uh, and that we have a Savior who sympathizes with us with our weaknesses, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We remind ourselves of these things. Uh, similar saints, <laughs> similar saints to um, when uh, we, when we, sing loud with one another or uh loudly again i was talking to uh uh, uh javier and, and sister norma earlier and we were talking about um reformed worship and, and how reformed worship uh, specifically the singing aspect of worship uh, is not characterized by guitars and by drums uh, but it's characterized by a voice all of us coming together with one voice singing. And Paul tells us that when we sing, uh, we are admonishing one another. We are building one another, uh, one another up. We are, we are preaching to one another. Uh, and saints, very much so, that is what we are doing in corporate prayer. Uh, we are encouraging one another. Uh, I'm pretty sure that many of you, uh, when we have corporate prayer services, and even now at 4.30, uh, you were encouraged uh, by the prayers of others. And also, too, the names that are up there. I mean, 
Uh, we didn't get to my name, but many of your names were up there in your family. Uh, aren't you encouraged to hear that someone else is lifting up your family members and friends? Um, that is that is very uh, important and encouraging for us. Number two, corporate prayer helps us battle sin. Uh, when we pray with others and confess our sins, we are simply put exposing it to the light. James exhorts us to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Saints, there is strength in gathering with others to help you battle your sin. Uh, simply put, you cannot battle your sin alone. This is why the Holy Spirit uh, was given to you. This is why the whole Trinity indwells within you. Because you cannot in and of yourself battle sin. But also, when God adopts you, uh, he adopts you into a family. And being adopted into a family, you now have brothers and sisters in Christ who can come alongside of you and help you with your sin. When we pray corporately, we can allow others to hold us accountable to holiness and righteousness. One writer said, if we are serious about battling sin, we must put corporate prayer in our arsenal. We must put corporate prayer in our arsenal. Corporate prayer teaches us those wise words of Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toll. And you know, saints, also, we aren't to think that us confessing our sins um, is merely us. We are only to confess our sins to the elder uh, or to the deacons. Uh, you know, um, of course, we are to use the discernment. Um, um, you know, there are those in the church, not here per se, uh, but there are those in the church um, who love to go off and gossip uh, and tell others uh, what's going on uh, in other people's lives. <clears throat> and saints, we don't want to be people who are marked in that care in that way. Uh, if anything, we want to have a, a, a create a, a habit of, of healthy gossip. <laughs> we want to encourage uh, uh, one another, but also um, tell others of the encouragement that you are to them. Um, I was I heard a long time ago. That one of the ways you can tell a Christian is a Christian is a Christian's willingness to embarrass themselves. Uh, none of us want to tell uh, each other our sins. None of us want to embarrass one another because we don't want people in our business. Uh, but saints, as it was, it was said um, last Sunday evening in Pastor Antonio's sermon, uh, that we're not running this race and we're not meant to run this race alone. Uh, but we are meant to run this race side by side together, which leads to our third point, And that is corporate prayer builds unity. Corporate prayer builds unity. If there is one benefit to corporate prayer, it is the unity that it builds among Christians. Uh, if you're holding a grudge with someone in this church, then come to corporate prayer. If you're holding a grudge toward anyone, uh, not only in this church, but in your family or, or, or in your friends, come to corporate prayer prayer purge yourself uh from from all of that uh uh, uh built up anger and, and 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 um and and whatever you have inside you toward that person uh, prayer for others and hearing others pray for us naturally draws us closer as we learn more about one another as we regularly come together we're reminded of the words of saint paul in uh, uh to the ephesian christians maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace Christ commands us to show our bond and unity towards one another. And one of the ways we do that is by praying for one another. We pray for one another. It really allows us to lock arms with one another 
and to run this race together. We can ask ourselves, you know, saying, I've been really praying for you. Uh, uh, you know, you said last Sunday that you were battling with this or that your mother was sick or that I heard that you were feeling a little ill. How are you feeling this Sunday? Uh, I mean, how, how, uh, how would you feel if someone told you that uh, and, and it reminded you uh, that, man, throughout the week, someone was praying for me? And that, that's a great blessing. Corporate prayer removes, fifthly, the me-centered approach to Christianity. Corporate prayer removes the me-centered approach to Christianity. <clears throat> Pastor Mark Dever says, participating regularly in corporate prayer begins to take out the uh, individualistic assumption that Christianity is only about me and my relationship with God. That is very much true, right? I mean, we all assume that, especially in the beginning, that corporate, that prayer, or rather the Christian life, is merely about me, myself, and I. He says, and it begins to resituate uh, as us as individual Christians in the congregation so that we become aware of this person who's sick, this person who's had a baby, this person who's employed, this person who's become a Christian. Participating in corporate prayer helps us discover that our lives as followers of Christ are tied up with one another. This is very much uh, tied up with the point that we just spoke of, that corporate prayer builds up unity. Uh, but many Christians are so tied up with their own problems and the struggles of life that they have uh, little time to worry about others' problems. But saints, this is not biblical Christianity. Uh, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You are to bear my burden, I am to bear your burdens. The great John Gill says that we bear each other's burdens by gently reproving them, by comforting them when overpressed with guilt, by sympathizing with them in their sorrow, by praying to God for to manifest his pardoning grace to them. Corporate prayer takes out the I approach to Christianity. It takes out the lone ranger approach to Christianity. And it helps us discover that God cares just as much about the whole congregation as he does about you. Um, John Newton, and I've read this before many times, but he says this, one of the greatest comforts I have in my life is that at any given time, I can believe that someone somewhere in this world is lifting up my worthless name and lisping it into the ears of the Lord. Uh, what great comfort that is, right? Saying that someone somewhere is lifting up my name uh, to the Lord. And I hope, saints, that that someone who's lifting up the name of the Lord is you. Uh, that you are lifting up each other's names uh, to the Lord. Uh, number six, corporate prayer is the means by which God blesses his people. Uh, one Puritan said, God loves to answer petitions signed by more than one signature. Again, God loves to answer petitions signed by more than one signature. It's where we come together and we all um, sign this one paper, present it to the Lord and ask, Lord, uh, may, you, may you pardon and give me grace in this particular area. And last benefit, number seven, corporate prayer teaches us how to pray and teaches our children the importance of prayer. Teaches us how to pray and teaches our children the importance of prayer. Us parents, if you want to have your children fall in love with the church, if you want your children to understand the importance uh, that there is always a place to go for the Christian, and that is uh, a, a particular place to pray, uh, that prayer is to be the first and foremost thing that we do in our lives, 
then we are to take our children to corporate prayer. We are to sit them down and we are to tell them what this person is doing uh, when they are praying uh, and what they are doing after they pray when they say amen. But also it teaches us how to pray as well. Uh, there's many of us who, um, even myself, who uh, are really bad at praying out loud. And over time, the more we pray out loud, the more we uh, involve ourselves in corporate prayer, then we get better uh, at bringing scripture and adding scripture into prayer uh, and uh, asking God uh, in many ways to, uh, to help us where we are in need. Uh, so saints, that is the biblical witness of corporate prayer, but also some of the benefits to corporate prayer. And I'm sure the Holy Spirit uh, is a better applier of this lesson uh, than I am. I'm sure that there are many other benefits that you have seen in corporate prayer that I'm able to articulate to you uh, this evening. But all in all, all of this is to say is uh, corporate prayer is not only biblically mandated, but it's important for us. It's something that we should not neglect. It's something that when we when we hear of the church coming together at 430 to pray, uh, that we should set our alarms, uh, that we should get up earlier, uh, that we should make arrangements, um, get the kids ready to come to corporate prayer and 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 be a part of the great uh, benefits and receive all the great benefits and grace that God gives to us when we gather corporately for praying.